Hey there, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Samira Stalks. This is a podcast about the dreamers out there and their stories of entrepreneurship. So if you're curious, creative, and you're ready to make an impact on this world, then this is for you. Welcome to episode two with me, your host, Samira Sohail. Thanks for coming by if you're new or back for more if you're not. I was joined by Temo Atagechi today. He's in the midst of launching his second company, Papier, which is looking to disrupt the personalized goods market in the UK in the cards, gifts, and stationery space. Technology and logistics have now allowed for orders to be filled within 48 hours. Today, we'll hear about his commitment to being a serial entrepreneur, starting from selling art as a child, building a media company at university, to Papier, and even his willingness to find a gap in the bin bag market. How he bucked the Silicon Valley trend of being the sole founder without a co-founder partner in crime, And lastly, his views on the new school wave of the more risk-averse entrepreneurs that are bubbling up through the system. Okay, hi Tamor, thanks for being on the show. Thanks Samira, hi. Um, So Tamor, you're in my set of serial entrepreneurs where you have not only set up a mini equivalent of BuzzFeed while studying at Cambridge, a new site called The Tab, which was an online only organisation, which is now, I think, is it in 80 universities? It is, um, yeah. It's um, across the UK, US, and soon to be, I think, Canada as well. Great, brilliant. Uh, but now you've just launched your new venture, Papier, which uh, sells cards and invitations as well as stationery online. So, yeah, I guess from your mouth, in a sentence, yeah. can you describe what Papier is doing? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's similar to what you said. So we sell personalized cards, invitations, and stationery online. Um, that's the broad kind of quick summary, but um, what we want it to be is a place where people can buy better quality goods that have traditionally been poor quality in some areas. So it's across mobile, desktop, people, whether it's a birthday coming up, you can order a personalized card and send it directly to a friend. Or if it's uh, upcoming wedding you can order your invitation. So it's a it's a platform for personalised goods. It's the broader vision. Okay, great. And uh, yeah, a lot of that stuff coming up on the market. So like not on the high street. Yeah. Um, yeah, and brands as well. So I mean, the likes of Nike are now selling kind of up to thirty percent of some of their products you have are personalised. Insane amount of Nike ID trainers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> How I'm, many? I'm a big. Um, <laughs> a few. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, no, of course, this Christmas especially, we saw lots of brands really doing personalization. Um, so whether it was M&Ms were doing photos of customers on the actual M&Ms, Marmite were doing it, Tip Tree Jam were doing it. I mean, you know, brand after brand are now offering personalization. So it's definitely something that consumers want and yeah. it's only now that the technology is catching up that means you can do it at, you scale. Can do it at scale and you can do it quickly and deliver things um, within 48 hours that are fully personalized so that's a trend that we're we're capturing uh, to some extent in in paper but we hope to to branch out in the future as well so when i was reading your bio <laughs> the yeah. only uh, the only clever link i could mm-hmm. make between the two companies that you've now set up i guess mm-hmm. the tab and Papier was yeah. around paper. <laughs> but I guess I'm yeah. more interested to hear about some of your motivations and your journey uh, to get to Papier and even through the tab. Uh, yeah, I mean, my, I, my interest has always been in, in is setting up businesses and setting up um, uh, enterprise. That's, that's for me what motivates me. And I've always 
it, it's never been a particular industry area or sector that has really grabbed me. It's actually just just the motivation of finding a gap in the market or finding a product that doesn't exist or a consumer group that haven't been served. Yeah. Um, and and filling that. And I've often, you know, joked that if you know if if the business ended up being there was a gap in in uh, bin bags yeah. i'd be more than happy to set something up and i think it's the thrill of you know building a product from scratch and seeing it succeed so i don't think there's much that binds the tab too much to to papier necessarily but both in both instances there were you know i think great ideas people wanted something with the tab it was people wanted um some fun journalism in what was quite a academic journalistic market for students and yeah. for us it's consumers who want personalized goods at, which are good quality and have good designs so in both those, so you know that really was the motivation it was finding a gap and wanting to fill it fill it yeah i like the honesty you know there are a lot of founders out there pitching that I mean, this might have been their childhood dream or yeah uh, but i like the candidness of actually no like like I enjoy setting up businesses, and that's yeah. what I'm going to do. Yeah, and I, I think I think there is also a tendency of, uh, as an ex-consultant, knowing consultants or, or or people at least who want to set up businesses, a lot a lot wait for the big idea. Yeah, and and for me anyway, I I believe that's a bit of a, a fallacy, and I think people spend a lot of time um, waiting for or seeking out the big idea. Um, and that's often what stops them from actually going out and setting up a business. And often it's not it's not necessarily the big idea. It's the idea that's on your plate there and then at the time you're ready. And you should just take that because, you know, the, the big idea that you think exists might come at a time when you're not ready. And that therefore means you're not able to do it. So so that's my view. And, you know, when people say, are you really passionate about paper? I, I say, well, I, I like it. We have not. It's. It, I wasn't, you know, born dreaming about paper and one day wanting to set this business up. And I think most entrepreneurs and most founders were not, did not envisage they'd be in that business ten years prior. So it's it's more about being opportunistic. I okay. think. There's been um, there's been a rising number of digital companies that I think are blending the kind of offline tangible experiences mm -hmm. with the online, I guess, route to market to consumers. Do you think that's a trend that's going to continue um, rather than say I, what I call pure tech or digital only businesses? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think, um, I think physical goods are are something that people will always want, of course. There are some that are, are necessities. Um, so e-commerce e is the channel for that and has been the case. But I think increasingly, especially in my market, which is quite interesting because you have obviously e-vites and e-cards, electronic versions of communication. We haven't, if you look at the trends, um, e-vites and e-cards have not been growing. Um and cards, physical cards and physical limitations have been. Mm. Um, and I think that's because there's almost a false assumption that just because the world is moving into a digital space, that means that physical products will become digital. But actually, I believe what the digital world gives you is a, an easier way of accessing physical goods. So for us, that means a way in which a customer can order a card 
that's delivered the next day that ha is fully personalized and has the names of them on the front. So that's a way of using technology to deliver a better product, a more personal product, quicker. Mm. Um, likewise, for the consumer who uh, lives you know, far from a post office or a shop or a card shop, you know, in the same way, you know, that's what the digital world does. It gives you access to uh, send and receive physical goods. So absolutely. Um, great. <laughs> um, so I remember when you were first setting up one of the, mm. um, one of your biggest rivals, if I'm even allowed to say their name mm -hmm. on here, uh, yeah. paperless post yeah. were coming into the UK. Yeah. Uh, how did you feel at that time and yeah. uh, knowing that someone with bigger scale and, you know, already yeah. uh, an interested uh, UK consumer base because everyone was sending cards, e-cards, at least yeah. using paperless yeah. cards. Yeah, yeah. How was that kind of rush to the market? And did you ever think about, yeah, just not doing it or collaborating no, with I, them? No, I think, I think you should never, I think you should never not do a business or not launch a product purely because there's a competitor doing what you're doing. I think if that was the case, nothing, you know, nothing, nothing. nothing would happen <laughs> yeah. because there's always someone in your yeah. space. And I'm often very, you know, skeptical. Well, there's a tendency again for entrepreneurs, especially ones with an analytical background in diligencing lots of decks, et cetera, to, to take, a, take a look at a market, say, well, you know, there's X, Y, and Z already in there. You know, mm. there's Uber's already there, so why should we do it? And in some cases, there's some valid reason in saying this is an insurmountable challenge, but um, often you shouldn't. And for us anyway, um, for the record, we see paperless post as the digital alternative to what we do in some ways, albeit they do do paper out in the US. Nonetheless, we we do see them as, you know, competitors in some respect. And I think it's very important and healthy that you have competition and you have people challenging you because that's what motivates you and yeah. makes you work faster yeah. and harder. And speed is actually one of the key things. And that's why I think we got to the market um, as quick as we did. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the F word, failure. Mm -hmm. um, what does it mean to you? Kind of what's your approach to it? And can you take us through any moments where you thought, either during the tab or Papier, yeah that you thought, yeah, I'm just going to throw the towel in on this. Yeah. Um, so, I, f I mean, I think uh, for, for, there's obviously a, a view, which I think is probably true, that in the UK we find failure um, difficult. It's a negative word. And in the US it's a lot more about, you know, you need to fail to succeed. And uh, for me anyway, I, I find failure difficult. So I think it's important for people who what stuff have you failed at i mean you know i mean <laughs> some of the simple some of the small things you know not passing your driving test first time <laughs> um, never getting in the car you know little, i mean the, the little failures some people take it on the chin and laugh about yeah. laugh it off but i think you know for me i find it quite difficult but if it is difficult you have to know how to manage it yeah um and i think the way to do it is to really tell yourself and, be, and make a conscious effort that when you fail you don't brush it under the carpet which yeah. is you know and and almost you know don't tell your friends that that happened um but actually take it as a okay well that means x and y so for example it could be not getting the job you want and you know for some people you know for or for, for, for me it could be therefore 
you either kind of bury your, your head in the sand and say, well, that's, or you t- take it as an opportunity and say, well, that actually means I can do this now. Yeah. Uh, or because I didn't get that job that was in London, it means I can work abroad. Yeah. So I think to make it, I think it's important to, some people maybe naturally think like that, um, yeah. but I don't. And I think a lot of people don't. And if you are one of those people, I think it's really important to just force yourself to find a positive yep. from every failure. And what about specifically within the tab or within Papier? Um, within the, so, I mean, within the, the tab, I think in many ways, um, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a view that there was three of us who were founders. I think, um, you know, in the end, it was two that took it on. I decided to, to step out to continue a, what became a short career at Bain nonetheless. <laughs> Um, and in some ways, you know, that felt like a failure because walking away, walking away from mm. from something, you know, it wasn't necessarily a, a big business at the time, and and it wasn't necessarily something. Mm. But nonetheless, it was it was giving up on something mm. um, that you've grown and that you yeah. So yeah, that yeah. that was a failure in that respect, and that was that was definitely tough. And I think you know, all you can do is is try and again take what what the opportunities that came out of that so for me that was spending a few years at, at Bain and, and and learning a lot from that but also thinking like I think all entrepreneurs should that that opens up the chance to do something else new. and, and new. <laughs> yeah and um and actually I know a lot of people who are in startup or founders who think about failure uh, in terms of what would I do if I if if this venture failed and my mm. view is with Papier at least whatever happens I think it's almost you've got to view failure as quite exciting in some ways mm. because you've probably got a few other ideas that you're going to start up and not kind of think about it as oh okay well that means I'll I guess I'll find a job or I guess I'll yeah. try and do something else <laughs> because you know that that might be what you want to do yeah. but but there is a lot of opportunity that comes out of failure okay um so one of the reasons I started this was because mm-hmm very good at stalking people like you Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh yeah I found out actually when I was talking to people Mm -hmm. that they too had to stalk people to kind of whatever it was get their stuff off the ground or you know get the endorsement they wanted so can you tell us some stories about who you've had to stalk to get Papier and uh potentially how that's gone yeah um so I definitely in in that period where you're effectively building the product or at least planning the product did a lot of stalking of people in this space. And I, one of the people, I mean, I don't want to say stalked, but at least was, was looked at his profile a few times as it was Richard Morris who set up moo.com. Um, learned a little bit about his story it's a similar business in some respects in that they do on-demand printing of Mm. business cards we don't we don't do business cards but he was filling that exact gap which was you know the the incumbents were producing quite poor quality etc um and you know i i i did actually just send a uh an in-mail out to richard and and to his credit he he did respond to it and we we've had a few meetings since and, and know each other um, relatively well so that was one instance and another instance is looking for investors I think I stalked a lot of 
um, rich people who... <laughs> rich people's parents. <laughs> rich, <laughs> who, <laughs> always a good place to start. Exactly. Who, you know, who had money and, and, and who had invested in other companies, I know. Fine, whatever. Um, so I think that's good. I think the, the internet... Well... The fact that you can stalk people actually is great. I think I don't know how um, how founders raised any money in the past. Okay, uh, how about any of that didn't go that well? Did any of it not go well? Well, there's some who just don't respond. Obviously, yeah. that that's not that's didn't go too well. And then no, I think there's there's no there's no negative outcome. There's nothing yeah. you can't lose anything. I think I'm a big believer in in the cold call style of business, um, which is very American and not very British, um, to just, you know, pick up the phone and phone people and say, well, what's the worst they can do is put the phone down. And I think, or not pick up. So I think, and that's what stalking is really. It's about finding people that interest you and thinking, well, I'll send them an email and say, can we have a chat? And um, I think it's, I think it's a good thing. And I don't think people do enough of it because people assume that they're not going to be interested or yeah. they're not going to want to talk to you. And actually, I think people actually quite like being stalked in that respect. <laughs> yeah. I feel flattered. Yeah, that's true. Um, so what is Papier's, I guess, reckless dream kind of going forward? Like, what do you see it grows into? Yeah, yeah. So so I think I hinted at it. The, the, the broad vision um, is to be the leading brand in personalised goods. So, yeah. you know, we've, we've started in three areas um, cards, invitation, stationery that naturally need to be personalized in many ways. I mean, yeah. an invitation has to be because you need the right people on it. Um, cards, people like to be. But but as I say, there's such a huge range of products now that are that are opening up to personalization and people love to send person personal gifts. Yeah. Um, that the reckless, the, the big reckless dream is to keep launching new products before we're ready. Um, yeah. And to challenge perception, um, and at one point launch a f- our first non-paper product, but that oh, cool. is um, in the future at least. Yeah, stepping stones. Exactly. What is the last gift that you got that put a smile on your face? The last gift that I got, gosh, um, it, I mean this is this is terrible. The last gift I got was actually non-papier stationery. What? Who had the audacity to do that? <laughs> Someone who'd been abroad and found some very nice stationery um, in Kenya uh, with 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 animal kind of motifs around the edge, um, and so there was an excuse because obviously they they bought it from Kenya. And we we don't operate in in that region, so yet. so it was yet. fine. Yes, but um, that would, that definitely put us on our face for for a number of reasons. Good, and I always think it's nice for people to just get to know a little bit more about you. So I'm just gonna yeah. fire off a series of questions. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So I guess, uh, what's your favourite song at the moment? At the mo oh, at the moment, favourite song. Um, uh, Adele, hello, okay. uh, and when that comes on in the office I have to turn that up right. and everyone else gets very annoyed yeah uh, <laughs> yeah um which Disney character do you think you're most like um <laughs> well I've been likened to Mowgli from a physical appearance <laughs> perspective um, but I kind of like Mowgli anyway Mowgli okay. Mowgli because yeah. he's he's kind he's of cool yeah he's cool yeah I think the Jungle Book's coming out it's a real film. It is. It year. is. I didn't actually know that. But, they didn't yeah. ask you to cast. No? They didn't. No. no, they didn't. They didn't. It's okay. Too, um, too old. What tea do you drink? 
Iranian tea? Uh, if I can. Yeah. If I can, yeah. I did actually bring back a whole bag of Iranian tea a few years ago, which I still tap into. Um, but I like to mix it up, tea. Okay. I don't... I, I, have a, I have a tendency to go through bursts of something. So I'll drink something like Earl Grey religiously for two months, three times a day, and then oh. I'll just switch one day. And, then it, and at the moment, it's fennel. Oh, fennel. Yeah, okay. at the moment it's Good fennel. And soon I'll drink too much of it and I'll get a sickly taste of it and I'll move on to another tea. Okay. Uh, what did you think you wanted to be when you were a kid? An artist. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you kind of are. Happy uh, as design work. Yeah, although I'm artwork. not allowed to do any design. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I do sometimes. Sometimes customers email and say, you know, I'd, I'd really love some personalised stationery, but you don't have any grapes. And I get the paintbrush out and it's quickly snatched out of my MS hand. MS Paint. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, that's what I thought I would work. I, and I was doing a lot of, um, like, painting as a very, very small kid who and, and would sell it to my parents' friends who I now know were buying from Sympathy, but at the time, <laughs> you, you think you're an up-and-coming successful an artist. artist. Okay, yeah. what was the first painting you sold? Um, I, th- I, th- I think it was probably like a fire engine or something like that, and I would insist... <laughs> but amazing I, that you were selling it at that age, yeah, and not just, yeah, like, well, giving it. And then um, I would always sign it, you know, which probably um, talks to some, some vanity, but I'd sign it at the bottom corner, and if it wasn't signed, my parents' friends would would very kindly say, oh, but I can't buy this unless it's signed. Otherwise, when I sell it in 30 years, I won't make any money out of it. But it was very kind of them. But yes. <laughs> um, who do you kind of... Who, what was the last thing you were inspired by? Um, off the top of my... I went to see Joy, the film. Okay. Um, I do like uh, these slightly trashy American entrepreneur tales. Okay. Um, and that was one of them, I think, actually. So Joy is the story of um, this lady who sets up, Joy, who sets up, uh, who produces the first kind of mop that is a good mop and sells through QVC and eventually, you know, yeah. builds an empire out of it. Uh, I, I'm often very inspired and moved by stories of uh, people who have really gone on a limb and backed you know, back themselves and mortgage their house or remortgage their house, yeah. which is the old school way of being an entrepreneur, which it doesn't exist in some respects now. Now well, what that do you think the more, new school way? The new school way is to is to spend three years as a consultant in some way. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I don't think that is the only way. But there's there is a new way. There's a new type of entrepreneur who who which I think is great actually because it allows different people to access it. There's the crazy yeah. entrepreneur who, as I say, has a weird and wacky invention and mortgages and remortgages their house to back it. And I yeah. think that, is, that really is inspiring. That isn't everyone, and it's certainly not me. Mm. Um, uh, but it's, it is inspiring. And then, as I say, there's a new type of investor who is, is risk-averse. Yeah. And I think, actually, there are some very good risk-averse entrepreneurs and very good risk-averse founders So, who, who raise money from the yeah. outset, etc. So, yeah, anyway, that was the last bit of inspirational, um, yeah thing you watched yeah and um, more broadly is yes. there anyone else you stalk kind of online on twitter or who who's whose advice do you subscribe uh, to or blogs or anything like that i don't i don't do much of the blog um uh stuff i do a lot of instagram oh, okay fine on instagram but that's kind of like 
I mean, that's just kind of stalking a lot of friends who have a lot of holidays. Because okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you if you set up a business uh, in August, which is what I did, yeah. uh, it typically means you don't go on holiday that year. Because okay. the three months prior and three months post, which is prime holiday time, and which is where all the good bank holidays are, you're trying to build the business. So I do a lot of stalking of Other friends who are on holidays. Yeah. Should I send you some annoying pictures? I've, got, I've already seen Bali. some. I've already <laughs> seen some. <laughs> I think I must have flew in August. Yeah. I mean, I, so having said that, I, I did it last year and I did go on holiday. And now I remember people saying, please stop posting this. And now I see why. Yeah. <laughs> um, any Tamorisms? Anyone out there thinking yeah, you know, I want to become a serial entrepreneur like yeah. you, like Richard Branson, like the rest of them out there. Yeah, uh, I love being put against Richard Branson. Yeah. I think that's probably... <laughs> that's, pretty much where, that's pretty much what he said. That's... He was really yeah. honest. He just said, you know, actually, it's not this or that or the other. It's me spotting gaps and, yeah. you know, me, yeah, uh, yeah. having a skill set and just marrying the two, really. Yeah, I mean, there isn't... So the, the the couple of things I always subscribe to. One is I always believe in um, doing something that scares you. Um, is something I always tell myself to do um, because the times I've always got something very good out of an experience, mm-hmm. or the, the, the times I've looked back and said I'm so glad I did that, have been the times that I was scared to do it. Mm-hmm. So whether it is setting up a business mm-hmm. or it's you know, could going, be, hiking, going hiking or whatever. It's often the it's often those experiences that you think, God, I was really scared, and I might have even nearly not done it. Mm. That you think, thank God, I did it. Yeah. So on that basis, I like to do stuff that I'm not quite comfortable with, or I'm a bit scared to do. Okay. Um, so, and I encourage that in, in in every way, even when it's while you're running a business to to take some risks and do something that scares you or if you're in a job and thinking I kind of want to do my own startup mm. but I'm a bit scared and that's probably the right time to, to, to do, do it. it because it's at the moments it's at the points in your life where you're the most comfortable in, in cruise mode mm. that I think you gain the least and actually just cruise through the years and then you you, you have those moments where you look Wake back and call. say yeah what have I done over the past five yeah. ten years so that's one. And then the other one, which is completely overused, I'm sure, but is is completely true, is the kind of just, just do it mentality. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of founders and, entre- and other entrepreneurs say it, but it, it can't be said enough in that respect, yeah. which is, um, you know, just, just really, if there's any idea you've got of something you want to do, there is really no excuse to not do it. And, and, and people are very good at, and I am, and everyone is very good at making excuses and very good at delaying things. And consultants are even better at that because they can say, I'm working on my idea and I'm, I'm evaluating the market and I'm doing competitor research. <laughs> and I hear that the whole time. And, you know, I think I've found a gap, but I need to do some more competitor research. But actually the best competitor research you can do is to launch a product yeah um and you know some people say i don't know how big the market is but the best way to find out is to launch the product so i just that's the other thing i definitely encourage and that's even with the team i have at the moment Mm. um you know we want to and pride ourselves on being able to execute super quickly okay um and so that's what and i think what sits behind that is that mentality of let's not 
look at a 30 slide presentation about it let's just do it yeah. and then see how it works you're in the rare case actually of a lot of uh you know startups or digital business and businesses that uh have co-founding teams yeah uh and especially coming from the tab where you founded it essentially with two of your mates yeah. at university how have you have you found it lonely like how have you have you had resistance to that yeah uh, so so there's there has been uh, a bit of a shift in the school of thought around sole founder co-founder so there was a there is a notion at least um propagated by VC in Silicon Valley that to succeed or for successful businesses are ones with co-founders. Um, and there's been a bit of a shift in that there are now a number of VCs who are agnostic and there are actually a couple of VCs mm. who are pro sole founder. So I think the, the, what this for me says is it, it really doesn't make much difference. So there's definitely no reason why a sole founder can't succeed or needs a co-founder. And I, again, would flag that as another reason why I've seen people not just do it mm. is they um, they pull out one of the 30 excuses, which is I'm looking for a co-founder. Yeah. Um, and that really, you know, it, it, you've got to ask yourself, do you need one? Yeah. In terms of how it how it is, there's there's definitely pros and cons, as with everything. I think there's the advantages are you make decisions quicker. Mm. The disadvantage could be that the decision you make may not be the best one because yeah. you haven't. But, but sometimes a quicker decision is better than a late decision. That's a good decision. So, mm. so there is definitely that. In terms of the loneliness aspect, absolutely. I think I think I'm lucky in that I built a team very early on, mm. and and I did that in part because um, we raised investment early. Mm. Um, I do think it's incredibly difficult to be a sole founder without a team. Because if you have a team, you can you can make them your co-founders in, mm, in that respect. Mm. They are the team that you that join you from day one and mm. build the product. So they yeah. are your co-founders. Yeah. You may not be as open as you would to a co-founder, but yeah. in some ways, you know, there's someone you can talk to. Yeah. I think the 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 hardest um, situation is the sole founder who is really building that business on his own without a team, mm. his or her own without a team. So. So that's that's the case. So that's how I've managed to um, mitigate some of that loneliness is use your team as your co-founders. Great. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. And Thank thanks you. for being on the show. Uh, yeah, really excited to see uh, the range of stuff that Papier comes out with. Sure. Just lastly, before we go, yeah. what is, what's one of the card designs, uh, describe it, that has done really well on Papier that you might not have expected? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, what artwork? What artwork? There is, um, well, there's one of an avocado okay. that's kind of that's kind <laughs> of been cut in half, and there's kind of two halves of av- avocado hugging, and it says avocado. Okay, love um, it. <laughs> and uh, it's done very, very well. I guess not surprising in some respects, but surprising in other ways. But yeah, that's yeah. that's um, and it's National Hug Day today, oh, so good. it's selling especially well this we'll morning. We'll hug at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look so scared. <laughs> <laughs> Scariest part of the interview. <laughs> Great. All right. Thanks a lot. Take Thanks, care. Bye. Listening. Subscribe to the podcast and sign up to my newsletter for the show notes, resources, and my blog at samirastalks.com. And hit me up to let me know what you thought. Leave a review on iTunes, please, or get in touch on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Next week, I'm interviewing Henry Blanchard, 
for all you fellow runners out there and those looking for a new type of vacation, he's got the first international marathon off the ground in Uganda. But this isn't just your average race. It's a festival marathon mashup with a week-long experience of immersion into the local community of Masaka. I can't wait. Hope we see you then. Bye.